Gospel according to St. Luke, the 23rd chapter. Glory to you, O Lord. When they came to the place that is called the Skull, they crucified Jesus there with the criminals, one on his right and one on his left. Then Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. And they cast lots to divide his clothing. And the people stood by watching, but the leaders scoffed at him, saying, He saved others. Let him save himself, as he is the Messiah of God, his chosen one. The soldiers also mocked him, coming up and offering him sour wine and saying, If you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. There was also an inscription over him, This is the king of the Jews. One of the criminals who were hanged there kept deriding him and saying, Are you not the Messiah? Save yourself and us. But the other rebuked him, saying, Do you not fear God, since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? And we indeed have been condemned justly, for we are getting what we deserve for our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. He replied, truly I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. The gospel of the Lord. Praise Praise to you, you, O Christ. Christ. The assembly may be seated. Grace and peace to you from God, our Creator, and our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. When Queen Elizabeth died on September 8th of this year, it was an important moment, really a watershed moment in in history, not just in one place, but but in all places. This was a huge, huge event. She was a public figure, the second longest reigning monarch in recorded history, 70 years, 70 years of her 96 years on this earth, she held that title of queen. And you don't have to look real far to see the kind of impact she had. I mean, if you just even look at some of the statistics related to the funeral itself, it is mind-boggling to see just what an impact she clearly had. 168 countries were represented in some way in that event. And I want to get this right. It included 18 monarchs, 155 presidents, and 125 prime ministers. That is quite a gathering of world powers, of world leaders, but it doesn't end there. The estimated final cost of the funeral is somewhere in the ballpark of 5.4 million British pounds, which is about six and a half million American dollars. That is a lot of money to spend on flowers, I'm just gonna say. (laughs) And then, perhaps the most mind-boggling of all is the total global viewership, which is last estimate, at 4.1 billion viewers. I don't know if you know this, we just hit the 8 million mark as far as human population, so more than half of the world's population at some level tuned in to participate in these festivities. Clearly, clearly monarchs are important. Clearly we pay attention to them. But what's interesting is that even with all the viewership and even with all the pomp and circumstance, the responses to the event necessarily weren't universally shared. For some, it was an opportunity for protest. 
It was an opportunity for individuals to voice their concerns over the role of the monarchy, particularly in the Commonwealth regions. That was an opportunity for people to stand up and voice what they see wrong with this system, particularly with the colonialism that has marked its history for hundreds and hundreds of years. The resulting impacts of such colonialism still felt today in many of those Commonwealth areas. This all goes to say that monarchs, that, that, that rulers, that kingdoms are complex things, complicated things. And perhaps none is more complex and none is more complicated than Jesus, the one who we consider here today. We consider here today as he finds himself on the cross, surrounded by criminals on either side. And what's even more complicated is that word criminal itself. You see, in the other gospels, this word criminal refers to a bandit, a person arrested for thievery, right? People who stole something are the ones who are hung on the cross next to Jesus. But here, Luke, in the Greek, uses a slightly different word. The word kakirigoi better translates as a political dissident. In other words, these criminals next to Jesus are hung not because they stole something, but because of treason or sedition, political acts against the state. That is a unique sort of perspective here, and it's evidence even in Jesus' own place, as a place above his head is that title, the King of the Jews, right? Jesus himself is here because he has ruffled the feathers of the political elite in Rome. Jesus' life, filled with grace, mercy, love, and forgiveness, is diametrically opposed to the ways of the Roman Empire, the brutality of which is on full display in this very moment. And as Jesus cast his vision for what the kingdom of God can look like, it was seen as destabilizing the kingdom of Rome, the Roman way. Because what Jesus provides is a new way. Jesus is the way, and with it comes a new kind of reign, with it comes a new kind of king. And over and over and over throughout his life, Jesus helped to paint a picture, a contrasting picture, of what God's reign looks like compared to that of the Roman Empire. And he would do that through these things called parables. Parables that started with some version of the words, the kingdom of God is like. The kingdom of God is like a father who has a son. A son who can't wait for him to die. So what does he do? He asks for his inheritance in advance. And the son takes the inheritance abroad and squanders it in lavish living. The point where he's run out of money. So he has to come back praying that maybe his dad will give him a job upon returning. He comes back, and not only does the father run out to hug him, he even throws him a party. That's the kind of reign that God is giving and ushering in through Christ. The kingdom of God is like a shepherd. A 
shepherd who has a hundred sheep, a hundred sheep who that shepherd knows and loves and cares for so dearly that when one of them wanders away from the flock, the shepherd cannot help but leave the 99 to go and to seek out and to search the one that is lost and does not give up until it is found once more. That's what the reign of God looks like. The reign of God looks like a rich man. A rich man who decided he was going to throw a party for the social elite, but none of them RSVP'd yes. And so with an empty room and everything in place, he swings open the doors, goes out into the street, and welcomes in every person he finds. Beggars and sinners, people afflicted with different maladies, the blind and the lame, you name it, they are invited in to feast and feast sumptuously. That, dear people, is what the reign of God looks like. You step back, what you realize is that Jesus talked about the kingdom of God more than any other topic in his life. And it wasn't so much his actions that got him on the cross, it's these stories that put him there. These stories which went and conflicted directly with the kingdom and the Roman Empire of this world. And what's even more amazing today is we get to see that even hanging from the cross, Jesus embodies the values of this reign, of this kingdom. As he's led to his execution, what does Jesus do? He reflects the mercy of the kingdom by forgiving. Those words, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. And you know what? They don't. Why? Because they think they're killing this guy. They think this is the last they're going to see of him. They think that if they kill him, they're going to squelch all of this whole kingdom thing that Jesus has been talking about for the last few years, causing crowds to swarm and to gather close to hear about they think that's what's happening. But in reality, they don't know what they're doing. Because what they're really doing is they're ushering in this new reign. What they're really doing is ushering in a reality where death is not the final, but instead a new opportunity, a new beginning, something we call resurrection. Indeed, Jesus, you see, is mocked here. He's mocked to save himself. And that provides another opportunity to hear about the kingdom about this new reign, because they get it all wrong. They tell him to save himself, and Jesus says, that's not why I'm here. I'm not here to save myself. I'm the kind of king who's here to save others. I didn't come to be served. I came to serve. This, this distinction is what makes it so hard for the people gathered around the cross to understand what he's saying because it stands so, so con starkly contrasted to what they're seeing. Except for perhaps a criminal. A criminal kind of gets it. A criminal who's heard this and sees this and recognizes this and makes a request that reflects this understanding. Not a request to be taken down from the cross and saved. Not a request to be spared the torture but instead to be remembered, to be remembered. And that's such a weird request for two reasons. The first is that Jesus' life isn't going to be much longer. 
So what good does it to be remembered by a person who's going to die right with you? Well, it matters when you believe that that person might live again, when you trust in this reign, when you trust in this resurrection. And the second thing there, and this is the big one, it's trust. This person asked to be remembered, trusting that they wouldn't be remembered as a criminal hanging from a cross, but be remembered as a beloved child of God worthy in a place of the kingdom. So in all actuality, this request to be remembered is a profound declaration of faith. A, a declaration of faith that he is forgiven. That he will be remembered not for what he's done, but for what Christ has done for him. And that's what Jesus does. He says, today, right now, you will be with me in paradise. What a weird promise to hear hanging from a cross in a place called the place of the skull. But that's the difference. This reign, this kingdom, doesn't care where it is or what time it is or anything. It can break in even to the most profoundly horrific places in this world, shedding opportunity and life and forgiveness and resurrection even in the darkest of places. This is the reign we celebrate as we turn our eyes to the manger once more. This is the reign we anticipate as we prepare in the coming four Sundays for Christmas. Through the season of Advent, we wait patiently in the darkness for Christ's light to be shining in the world once more. God breaking into our existence, not as a king on a throne, but a baby swaddled, helpless in a manger. A child born for us, a child born like us, a child who shares a kingdom with us. This is what lies ahead. What an amazing gift it is for us to share. Thanks be to God for this gift, and for this king, and for this reign today and forever. Amen.